You're listening to the GGC Life Podcast, weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. First John, powerful, powerful letter. John knew Jesus so deeply, so well, and um, he's given us a revelation that God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. No shadow of turning, not even an ounce of darkness. Not a moment, not a thought of darkness. God is absolute light. And, and, and the definition of light, I mean, I, I, my mind goes to a lot of places. My mind goes to the fact that God made us in His image. And He made you and I in His image and in His likeness. And that God breathed into Adam and breathed the breath of life and the very Spirit of God, who is light. God is light. God is Spirit, but He's light. His Spirit being as a spirit person as god is a person is made out of light and then we're made in we're made out of light our spirit man's made out of light that's why we can fellowship with god and so it's good to remind yourself that i can connect with god i can fellowship with god i can kononia is the word the 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 greek word for fellowship it actually means partnership it means to share with god we partner with god we're sharing with god and the the biggest Revelation that John is bringing to us when he says that which we have seen, that which we have touched, we've handled, we've heard, we've walked with him. And it's the life that was manifested was God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. Then he starts to bring that thought out and he starts to explain that the, the light, that God is light is that God is love. And God walks in all the love he has. And if you read it, he's talk, the first chapter is talking about you can't say you have fellowship with light and then walk in darkness. Because if God's light and we choose darkness over light, to the degree that we choose to walk in darkness, we're saying no to light. And darkness is also defined as um, selfishness. Not laying down your life for your brother. The definition of selfishness or hating your brother is Again, the, the definition of hating is not laying down your life for someone else, but the definition of love is laying down your life for someone else. In other words, you have this world's goods, you have this world's um, blessings, and you see your brother in need, that we do not shut up our bowels of compassion towards him, but we show love and we help them because we love them as we love ourselves. That's what the love of God does. And so what... John is saying is what hinders fellowship with God is every time we choose darkness. But why would we want to choose darkness over light? In the natural, who would want to choose to be blind rather than have your eyesight? No one would choose that. So in the spiritual, it's actually the same thing. Every time you choose God, we're saying, God, I want to be able to walk in the light so there's nothing stumbling. I, I, we don't have to be in darkness. You, if you pick it, up, pick it up from verse 1, chapter 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Like he's, say, he's actually saying, I'm writing these things so you do not sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, a lawyer with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If you happen to sin, it's okay because Jesus is our advocate. Stands before the very presence of God in our place. And he himself is the propitiation or the atoner. He atoned for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. 
So the theme of this book is talking about Jesus is the only saviour of the world. There's nice background music tonight. (laughs) Verse 3, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now this is the way we know that we know him. The word know is kinosko. It's a beautiful deep word of intimacy with God. This is the way we know God and he's basically saying if we keep his commandments. Now, don't let your mind go towards the Ten Commandments or laws or rules. It's not talking about that. It's, it, when he's referring to these commandments, he's talking about, and he, he'll, go, he'll open up this commandment, and the commandment is to love one another. So if you really know him, you will love one another. Right? And that's what this book is actually opening up. It says, verse 4, He who says, I know him, I, I intimately know God, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Does not keep his commandments of loving one another. But whoever keeps his word, keeps God's word, truly the love of God is complete in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk as Jesus walked. How did Jesus walk? He walked in love. Like the Bible says, how do we know love? This is what love is, that he laid down his life for us. How do you know what love is? Jesus came from heaven and lived a perfect life and laid down his life for us. Even when I didn't know I needed a savior, even when I didn't know I needed someone to die for my sin, he went all the way and died in our place, laid down his life. So that's why I believe it says, um, he who says he abides in him or lives in him, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So we're going to say we, we're walking in him. I, I live with God and I walk with God and I know God. Then we, we need to walk the same way that Jesus walked, which is laying down his life for one another. Brothers, I write no new commandment to you. This is why he's talking about the commandment now. He's opening up what this commandment is. I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. Remember that phrase from the beginning? This is what was revealed to you from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Remember the first chapter, it was talking about the word that you heard from the beginning. That which was from the beginning has been revealed. It's been, it's been spoken to you. It's like now you know what was with the Father. The life was manifested. Is That word that was from the beginning that you heard. Is this, and again, the word again means on, the, on another hand. It's like saying, I'm going to give you... A new commandment. I'm not going to write a new commandment. He goes, on, a, on the other hand, I will. This is what he's saying. That word again means, on the other hand, a new commandment I write to you. Which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Remember, darkness is referring to not laying down your life. It's referring to selfishness. The sinful nature of mankind, when we disobeyed God, what came into our spirit man? Remember, our, ma- our spirit man is made in God's image and God's likeness. When we disobeyed God, Adam and Eve disobeyed God, darkness came into our spirit. It's like, and what that darkness was, was selfishness. I don't know how to explain it the other way, but who's seen zombie movies? If you've seen a zombie movie, one of the latest one, when, what was the latest one? They all became zombies and... Not that one. Yeah, Z, the World War Z one. Picture, what, what is zombie? Think about the zombie. If you've got the disease, all you have to do is be bitten by someone, and then you've got the disease. And so what happens to a person that's got zombie disease? 
all they want to do is devour somebody else. Selfishness is exactly like that. You don't care about anybody else but yourself. What we've done is put ourselves on our throne. Our flesh is number one. And he becomes God to us. And that's the zombie disease, which I think is selfishness disease. We don't realize how powerful and how deceiving darkness is. Darkness is darkness because you don't know you've been deceived by darkness. And most people that aren't selfish, I'm not selfish. Don't call me selfish. How dare you even say we've got selfishness. God is light and the revelation of God is that He is love and He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our life for one another. If He goes on to say, verse 9, He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. The word hate is a strong word, don't you reckon? Because most of us go, I don't hate my brother. I don't have hatred towards anybody. But, yeah, but he, he who... He who loves, now he who says he is in the light, and if you're a believer, you must be able to say you're in the light, and hates his brother. The word hate means to, to love less his brother. So all it's saying is if you love someone else less than yourself, then you've got, what's it saying? You've got darkness. Hates his brother is in darkness until now. So like if I, and the, another definition of hatred, hate is basically if I love less my brother, it means I'm not willing to lay down my life for my brother. I'm not willing to lay down my life. And that's when, he, again, the definition in chapter 3, he says that he who has this world's goods, he has this world's liveliness and sees his brother in need, but shuts up his bowels of compassion towards him, how can the love of God dwell in him? So when we see someone in need, now, and, that, and that, I think that's referring to everything, not just physical need. I think if you've got this world's goods and it's wisdom, and you see your brother in need and he, he needs wisdom and you don't even desire to help him, I think it's, I think it's got, it, it encapsulates everything. This world's goods could even mean that we've got the gospel, we've got the revelation that our sins are forgiven, and someone that doesn't know Christ, I want to be able to share to them. Now they might not want to hear it, they might want to shut me down and not listen to it, but I at least need to approach and try to share the words of eternal life so their sins can be forgiven. It's to me everything. It refers to the light of God. What, I, what we carry, our responsibility is to share with people that don't have it. How would I treat others if that was, if that was me in their shoes? Oh, Jesus says, you know, treat others as you would treat yourself. Do unto others as you would do unto yourself. The golden rule is love God with all your heart, but love your neighbor as you love yourself. The reason why I use that zombie thing is the zombie thing takes over the world and everyone gets the disease. But the opposite, the sinful nature, that's what it is. Why we got this problem in the world? Why is this all these crazy things happening in the world? Selfishness. Sinful nature. Get rid of the sinful nature and everyone looks out for one another. No one will ever steal. No one would ever lie to each other. No one will ever... I mean, everyone will just keep the Ten Commandments because you love God. When you love God with all your heart, you don't break any of them because you obey God. And we take care of someone else as much as you would take care of yourself. Problem with us is, but everyone else is not doing, no one else is doing it. So we compare ourselves with the world rather than with the Word. I'm trying to help us see the mirror of the Word and say, God, this is the standard. If we call ourselves Christians, our life is a laid down life. In every area. 
We don't live for ourselves. He who loves his brother, that means he who lays down his life for his brother, abides in the light. And there is no cause for stumbling in him. There's there's no way you're going to stumble. And the word stumble actually means offense, scandalism. There's no cause of offense. When you love your brother, you're willing to lay down your life for your brother. But he who hates his brother or is not willing to lay down his life is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Imagine not knowing where you're going spiritually, mentally, with our spiritual eyes, not even having a clue where we're going. We're just living life, but you're living in darkness. That's selfishness. When you're number one and everything, you filter, I don't know, maybe you filter life through what's in it for me. That's selfishness. What do I get out of it? If I do this, what's my benefit? You'd be surprised how many of us have that mindset. Rather than, God, how does this please you? God, does this please your heart? How do I please you? This morning I was saying that the, the thing that should motivate, motivate us to not sin is the fact that if I choose sin, it's darkness, and darkness stops me from fellowshipping with light. It hinders me from connecting with God. So we hate sin and we hate darkness because God is light and God is good. God is perfect. God is love. God is joy. God is peace. We miss out on His beauty because we choose darkness over God. Because we're trusting. Every time, you, every time you and I choose to sin, we're saying, I will meet my need. I will be God. I'll take care of my need right now. Thank you very much. Think about it. Anytime we sin, we choose to be God. Because we're saying, I'll meet my own need. I don't trust your way, your model, your pattern, your... Like, for example, sex before marriage, God says, wait. Because why? It's the best way. He came up with the idea. He created sex. Created a man and a woman to have intimacy with one another. But he says, wait till you find the one you're going to spend the rest of your life and you fall in love. But if you don't and you say, oh, but I've got a need and I've got this and everyone else is doing that, and you want to meet your own need. You'll meet your own need at the expense of God and His plan. So we're actually not trusting that God's way is better than me meeting my own need. That's just using that for example. But that's true of any of the sins that the enemy puts in front of us. Any temptation that leads us into darkness, it's always a lack of trust that God won't meet my need. You're not allowing God to be God and meet your need His way. It might take time, but it's His way. Look what he says. I hope you can understand the, that this, believe the word, not just understand it. See, the reason why we understand it is because we believe it. Sometimes you can read it and go, oh, I don't get that. Right, because you don't choose to believe it. Choose to believe what the Bible says. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded the world. What's wrong with the world? The darkness. It's selfishness. Selfishness has reigned and ruled. That's what sinful nature is. And we don't care for our brother. We don't lay down our life for others. We just care for ourselves. And that's the problem, the zombie disease in the world. Verse 12 says, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. He talks to three different types of people. He says, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven. I mean, that is settled once and for all. Our sins are forgiven for his name's sake. He paid the price. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. Our sins are forgiven. 
Believe it, because that's what gets you right with God. I love this. I write you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. Intimacy, you know him. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. Do you believe that? Young men, you've overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children because you have known the father. And I have written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men. Why? Because you are strong and the word of God abides in you or lives in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. Young men, why are you strong? Because the word of God lives in you. And how, how have you overcome the wicked one? Because the word of God lives in you. You, you. Think about it. You have overcome the wicked one. How did you overcome the wicked one? Because Jesus overcame the wicked one. Jesus defeated Satan once and for all. And you know when, when we sing about Jesus and his victory, always remember you've got to make it personal. He did not have to defeat the devil for himself. He did it in our place. He did it for us, on behalf of us, as if we defeated the devil. Because his victory was your victory. So if he won the victory and he did it on my behalf, his victory is actually my victory. The devil has been defeated and he has no authority over us except what we give him, what we believe he has over us. And that's true. Fear is one of the greatest doors you could open up to the devil. When you believe something could happen, you empower the, the, the demonic world to make it happen because you fear it. Now we go, we've gone to India and you, you know, we go into homes and people, they just tell you straight out, they go, please pray because there's a spirit that's trying to strangle me at nighttime. And some of them are believers. How, how does a demon still have authority to strangle a believer? How is it possible? Because the believer's full of fear. Believes a demon has authority to do it. So the demon goes, takes the access and goes, well, you're full of fear and I'll strangle you. Instead of when the believer rises up and realizes, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The devil has no right to touch me. How dare you? Get your hands off. You illegal trespasser. Get out of here. And he's afraid of the name of Jesus on your lips. When you understand your authority, the demons scatter and they shudder at the name of Jesus. They run. When you speak the name of Jesus. But fear is the open door for it to affect you. When you're afraid of something. Afraid of curses. Oh, I could be cursed. Oh, my, I could have maybe a generational curse. Maybe there's something there. Well, if you're afraid of it, you would open up the door. Because you believe it can happen. Faith is the shield that quenches us from every fiery dark of the wicked one. And fear opens up the door for the wicked one to put stuff on you. Because you've allowed it and believed it. And that's why I believe these young men had the word of God abiding in them. And, and says, you have overcome the wicked one. You have to stop and think, wow, they've overcome the wicked one. They've overcome the wicked one. We have victory over the wicked one. We can live in it. Look what it says. Straight connection. The connection to overcome the wicked one is do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. Now that's an important, we need to really understand the scripture, don't you reckon? Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. Hang on a sec, God's placed us in the world and he's given us a lot of things in the world for us to enjoy. But I'm not to love the world or the things that are in the world. For the things that are in the world, it defines it. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
is not of the Father, but it's of this world. And the world is passing away. It's temporal. And the last of it's passing away. But, the, but, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So the last of this world, that do not love the world. To me, it's like God saying, I placed you in this world. I've given you the beaches. I've given you the waterfalls. I've given you the mountains. I've given you creation. I created it for my children to enjoy. But if you love what I've created more than you should love me, then you've allowed the love, the love of the world to get a hold of your heart. What's happened is it's taken your affection completely and you don't even think about me. You don't spend time with me. I'm your lover. I'm your creator. I'm your father. I gave you all things to enjoy, but you now love the thing more than you love me. Do you understand? Does that make sense? When the scripture says in Luke 14, 26, unless you love less, unless you hate your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, even your own wife, even your own flesh, you're not worthy to be my disciple. I mean, that's pretty hard words, don't you reckon? When I first, when I first read that as a baby Christian, I said, unless you hate your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your, your husband, your wife, you know, your, your children, I mean, and even your own life, you are not worthy to be my disciple. That sounds like a hard ask. Sounds That's too hard. Why, God? Why would you do that? It doesn't make sense to my brain because I don't view it through God's eyes. But all God is saying, first of all, to hate, it means this, unless you love less your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, or your husband, your wife, less. doesn't mean you don't love them. You just love them less than me. If you don't love me, number one, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Like I said to you before about my wife, Christine, that if I asked her to marry me, which I didn't, I didn't propose, but if I did, we just said, we're not going to get, if we're going out, if we're dating, we're going to be getting married. Like we're not, but anyway, but if I asked her, if I said to her, don't do that, don't follow my example. But if I, but if I said to my wife, you're willing I want, I, want to rest, I want to spend the rest of my life with you, you know, get on, my one, on one knee and say, would you marry me? And I, I just, you know, I love you with all my heart. I, I want you to marry me, but I, I'll let you be with other men and I'll let you sleep around and you can do whatever you want. You can play the field. Doesn't that sound disgusting? Doesn't love demand her all? Doesn't my love, pure love, say, I'm giving myself completely to you. All I ask is for you to give yourself completely to me. That's what God's saying. So God has God is love. God's in love with you. He's giving himself completely to you. There's a scripture in James says, doesn't the spirit that God gave you lust to envy? You read that, you go, what does that mean in the old King James? The spirit that God placed inside you is jealous and earns and jealous and earns for your love. Jealous for your love. So God's spirit is jealous for your love. In the same way, if your husband committed adultery or your wife committed adultery, you'd get outraged and you'd feel, oh, why? Because you demand her love. The father, when we commit adultery with the world, must feel like we've committed adultery with him. That's why he says, don't love the things of the world. If you allow the world, take your affection away, which, which means what? Time, energy, Affection, emotion, we give the world everything and we give God nothing or leftovers. God, God is so beautiful that he, he is worthy of our all. Does that make sense? That's why, that's why in the context of 
God is light and in Him there's no darkness at all and have fellowship with Him and don't choose to walk in darkness because every time you walk in darkness, you're saying no to the light. And He, he basically is saying, do not love the world because this is, this is how the world captures us. Do not love the world, nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't love the world and the world take all your affection away and say, I love the Father because they're contrary to one another. And even tries to define the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What gives the lust of the eyes power? Any lust of the eye. Let's say a car. I'm just using that as an example. Nothing wrong with having a good, nice car. But let's say when we make it, it's the pride of life is how I look in that car. The attention I'm going to get. I want everyone to see how cool I am, how successful I am. Because if I'm not secure in my love for Him, I'm looking for things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes become my things. Because of my insecurity, I look to that now. That's got my affection rather than God. Does that make sense? Nothing wrong with the things. Don't get me wrong. It's when the thing becomes the idol. This book, when you read it in its context, I mean, you read it, read it, read it, read it. You want to hear how he, how he finishes? Right at the end, he goes, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Why does he do that? I'm talking about the lust of the world, lust of the flesh, lust of Because a thing can become your idol when it should have been something you enjoy. Your beach, going to beach and, and enjoying outdoors is something we should enjoy, but it should never be our idol, but it takes our all. It's true of anything. My wife has been given by God to me, but I can make her my everything. And she could almost become my God where God has nothing, that God has no, doesn't have my time, my affection. We could do that to a husband that's been gifted by God to us. Or to a wife who's been gifted by God to us. We can do that about our children. God gives us children. But we could make them our everything and God is left behind. It's hard to explain. It's hard to preach this correctly so that people don't misunderstand. We're not talking about religion. We're talking about love. It's not rules. It's relationship. And I, I trust it keeps you free because everyone's at different places. Whatever is not a faith is sin to us. And we're all at different levels of faith. He that knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. We're talking about freedom in relationship. So you can't put what your convictions in it to somebody else because that's not what we're about. We're about relationship. Christ is about relationship. But the, but the warning that John is saying, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the last of the flesh, the last of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The lust of the flesh is when you choose to please your flesh and your flesh becomes, um, basically, you please your flesh in front of God. And you, again, meet, becoming the, you becoming the God to meet your need. And the world, I love the fact that it says, this is not of the Father, but is of the world. We can, we can love the Father and enjoy what God has given us in this world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides and lives forever. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, but which we know that it is the last hour. By this we know. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out 
that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. He says, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Now in verse 21 is, uh, now in verse 22, who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus, remember Jesus means salvation. So salvation is the anointed one. Or the anointed one to save is Jesus. Truly, when you look at it, the context of what the Antichrist is, the, anti, the Antichrist is, what's the word? I, I remember, I looked it up. I'm trying to remember the word Antichrist. It's, the op, it's, it's, it's opposes Christ. Stop coming on. But Antichrist is anyone that doesn't believe, this is it, when you read it in its context, and you read the, we're going to go through a lot of those scriptures because he keeps bringing it up. He wants us to discern when the anti-spirit, the Antichrist is here. And the Antichrist is when we believe there's Christ is not the only way for salvation. Jesus is the only way for salvation. The Bible talks about, even in the scripture, in, in, the, in this letter, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. But when we have to believe that Christ, the only, way that, the only one that's anointed to save is Jesus. There's no other way that you're going to get to heaven, no other way to be saved of your sin outside of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. So if a believer that actually says, I'm a believer, I believe in Jesus and I believe He's the, the only one for me, but, you know, it's up to you, I mean, you know, if you can follow any God and, you know, as long as you're a good person, you know, God will forgive you. No, that's false. Either Jesus is true, completely true, and that's what knowing, if you've if accepted Christ, you have the Father. If you reject the Son, you've rejected the Father. If you acknowledge the Son, you acknowledge the Father. The false spirit that's going to come, the false antichrist that's going to come in the world, the false teaching, I'm talking about false teaching, is it could be beautiful, it could be politically correct, it'll look nice, act nice and everything, but it's like there's other ways to get to heaven, not just Christ. Yet Jesus says he's the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And I, 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 don't, I can't explain any other way, but I know when this is truly grounded in our hearts and we really believe it, and it's a conviction, we know there's no other way to get to heaven, that's what makes you strong. That's what grounds you. But anytime you entertain the thought of, well, you don't have to have Jesus, it's Antichrist. I know Jesus died on the cross, but there's other ways to get to heaven. False. There's only one way to have your sins forgiven. Amen? Verse 23, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. Why? He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. I love that. You know, all you have to do is fully acknowledge the Son and His work on the cross. And what He did on the cross, He paid the penalty for your sin, my sin. When you and I acknowledge that and are aware of it and believe it, it's our conviction. You have the Father. You have the Father's presence. You have Him. You have access to the Father. Therefore, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Now, what is he talking about now? Verse 24, 
Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son. That's talking about the love of God, the, the, the love to lay down your life for one another. And this is the promise that He has promised us, the Zoe life of God. We have the life of the Father. This is God's absolute life. These things I write to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you. He lives in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Now, the word abide is live in Him so that when He appears, you'll have confidence. I believe it's, it's talk, the, the whole context is saying, Learn to live in love, lay down your life for one another so that your hearts can be rest assured before Him. It's in the next chapter, but we won't have time to go through it. But He's basically saying that when you, when, you do it, when you do it God's way, your hearts know. No, I'll let, I'll, I, will, I will read it. I will read it. I just want to show you something because it's in the same train of thought. In verse, um, chapter 3, in verse, verse 16, by this we know, verse 16, by this we know love. How do we know love? Because he laid down his life for us. This is the definition of love, because he laid down his life for us. And he, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We ought to, it's, it, we're indebted. If he laid down his life for us, we are indebted, we owe it to lay down our life for one another. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? The word um, is that whoever has this world's goods is whoever has this world's life, livelihood, and sees his brother in need but shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue it's not just talk about it. It's not just talk to talk, but let's walk the walk. But in deed and in truth. Let's do it in deed and in truth, in reality. And by this, when you do it in deed and in truth, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. If our hearts condemn us, God's not condemning us, but if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and He even knows why our hearts condemn us. Beloved, if our hearts does not condemn us, why? Because we practice this and we love in deed and in truth. We have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sights. Keeping His commandments is to love one another and lay down our life for one another. There's something powerful about living a laid down life because God the Father lives that way. God is the one who laid down his life. Jesus, how do we know love? Because he laid down his life for us. When I didn't even know I needed a savior, I didn't know I needed someone to forgive, forgive me or die for my sins. I didn't know that God willingly laid down his life for me. That's what love is. And that's how we should love one another. The, what motivated God's heart? Motivates our heart. That's why this book says, we love God because he first loved us. Because he loved us this way, we going to love him back amen if you verse 29 if you know of chapter 2 if you know that he is righteous 
you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. We're going to close it now, but let's just read this. It's just too good not to read it. That's verse 1 of chapter 3. Behold, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Think about that for a moment. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed that He's given us that we, you and I, should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Guys, we're called children of God. God, We are God's very children. Now, I love the fact that it is, beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Do you believe what the Bible says? When you read it? Do you really, really believe it? And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know, we know something. That we... That when He is revealed, Jesus, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. You're going to be like Him. Because we're going to see Him as He is. Do you know what He's like right now? He's full of glory. Absolute, perfect glory. That's how Jesus is like. We, but we're going to be like Him but we shall see him as he is. Remember, God is light, but he made us in his image and in his likeness. When we go to heaven, our spirit being, our spirit person, full of light, full of glory, you're going to shine like the stars, the Bible says. The Bible says the righteous will shine like the stars. Isn't God good? We're going to be like him. Sometimes we just got to stop and meditate and picture the fact that if I saw Jesus, I'd see him full of glory. His face shines brighter than the sun. And it blows my mind away that we're going to be like Him. We've got something amazing to look forward to. For all eternity. For all eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your amazing, amazing Word. And we know it's not just a Word. This is reality. This is what we're living in. This is what You've called us to. You've made us, transformed us into the very image now we are children of God. Right now. Your spirit, the, the creator of the universe, your spirit, your presence lives in us. Father, we thank you so much. Our destiny is to be transformed and conformed into the image of your son, Jesus. And we, sh we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Open up our eyes to see Jesus as he is right now, Lord. So we can reflect what we see of Him, Lord. We'll be like you because we will see you as you are. We will be like you because we can see you. And we thank you for that, Father, right now. Transform us, change us. Give us such a desire and a hunger for your presence more than anything before, Lord. That we say no to sin, no to selfishness, no to darkness. We say no. To, to living our own selfish life but we say yes to love we say yes to laying down our life for others we thank you for your awesome presence Holy Spirit come in Jesus name you've been listening to the GGC Life Podcast we hope this message has encouraged you for more please visit our website ggclife.com or email us 
ggclife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.